everybody, welcome to the Local New York Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. This week, my guest is Lauren from Amano. Lauren is a representative of the best that Syracuse, New York, has to offer in terms of food, in my opinion. You know, your top three restaurants in the city are Amano, St. Urban, uh, Eden, um, you know, let's go ahead and add four and say Kasai, because, uh, you know, yeah, Kasai. Um, if I had to expand it into our media area, I would throw brick and barrel into that mix, because uh, I think that Devin out there is extremely underrated. Um, yeah, so we've got a lot of restaurants in central New York, and, uh, and you know, let's just say the immediate Syracuse area. And while I love all most of them, and eat it, most of them. Um, if I, if somebody came into town and said, "Hey, what's the best that you have to offer?" It would be those restaurants I just listed, and Amana would be the first one. It's just my favorite restaurant, from hospitality to quality of food to them. You know, their pushing of the envelope and their ingenuity, their originality. Uh, Amano is my favorite, without question. Um, so when I combine all of those things together, like my entire experience at Amano how they take care of me, uh, the whole kit and caboodle, it's a motto. Um, anyways, having said that, uh, so it's pretty, I was a little nervous with this one, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, to sit down across from somebody who I, th- I put that much weight into their existence is a little intimidating. And I really want to have Lauren back again soon. Actually, I want to have her and Alex on the podcast at the same time because there's a whole plethora of questions that I want to ask them. Um, uh, you know, we've started this new series on our YouTube channel where I'm taking chefs back to their hometowns. So chefs that are from out of, out of, that aren't, you know, born and raised in New York or in Syracuse, I'm taking them back to their hometown to try some of their restaurants that they grew up working in or maybe grew up eating at. And we kind of sort of did that with Tim in Chicago. We're doing that here in a couple weeks with, Nick from Toss and Fire, and then uh, a few weeks after that with Alex and Lauren, we're going back to Philadelphia, and then a few weeks after that, we're going to Philadelphia again, but this time with Kyle from Kasai Ramen and Danny Steaks, and um, so I'm going to get to hang out with them then and, and ask them a b- bunch of questions, but I want to have Alex and uh, and Lauren on the podcast soon, and then also coming up really soon when our new website launches, which we have a brand new website launching, and we're kind of changing the way that we do things online for Eat Local New York on our website. Um, we have Alex and Anthony, his fa- Alex's dad, and Noah, his brother, on the on a podcast, a special episode we're releasing that we recorded at the Palace Theater. So just a lot of cool stuff, a lot of opportunities to get all your Fiaki and Markowitz and Amano questions answered. Um, anyways, having said all that, you know, I don't know who listens to this podcast. I don't know who you are. I know roughly about how many of you there are, but I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're consumers. I don't know if you're industry people. I'm sure it's a mix, but I don't know what that mix is, that percentage. Uh, That's why, do me a favor, send me an email or a text if you're listening to this, or DM on social media, or leave us a review. Let me know who you are and and what you think of the podcast. It'd mean a lot to me. It'd mean a lot to me if you did that. Uh, but having said that, so when I do these intros, when I have guests on, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes I'm, 
I'm having guests on. I'm asking them questions because I'm thinking of what the consumer want, should, what I think I want the consumer who's listening to the podcast to hear. Sometimes I'm having guests on and talking in the intro and asking the guests questions because I want the industry people that are listening. It's like, hey, I, I think it'd be cool if they knew this or if they heard this. Uh, so today, in, in today's intro, I'm going to try and keep it shorter than, than the 10 minutes that I've been doing. But I want to talk to both of you. So first, let's talk to the consumer. To you, the consumer who has no connections to the restaurant industry, uh, I want to say that restaurants are dying. Local restaurants all across this country, and especially here in central New York, are dying. And they're dying really, really quickly. You know, I've said this before, and, you know, I've said this before. Um, There's a lot of restaurant owners that I've met over the years that after meeting them and seeing their business and what they're offering and how they're offering it, I think to myself, dear God, who trusted you? Who gave you the ability to have this much responsibility? Um, not a lot. Yeah, yeah, maybe a lot. I won't say the majority, but I've met a lot of them. And, um, you know, to be quite honest with you, I was hoping that the pandemic would, uh, would take some of them out. And I know that sounds really bad, but it's true. Um, and the reason is because, I, you know, there's people like the Fiakis, like Kyle, like, you know, they're, uh, rise and shine people, you know, Danielle and, and there's just other people that, you know, this sounds awful. This absolutely sounds awful. But in my opinion, uh, there's other people who are more deserving and can run a better restaurant and do more to push our culinary world further into the future than some of these restaurants that open and limp along for a year and, and kind of suck the life out of the industry. Um, having said that, there's a shit ton of restaurants that are fucking suffering right now. Like 90% of the ones that I know, and I know I just overemphasized 90, but 90% of the ones that I know are struggling so incredibly bad right now. I don't know if that's proper grammar, but uh, English, but they are. Um, I was talking to a few of them recently who are down 40% right now. I mean, it's just awful. Who knows why? Uh, January always sucks. People are coming out of the holidays. You know, they have their New Year's resolutions. So they're not eating out as much. Maybe it's because they, they want to eat healthier. Maybe it's because they want to save money. Um, a lot of people are doing dry January. So breweries, you know, liquor sales, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then now we add in COVID, this new Omicron, whatever the fuck it is, strand, which is absolutely awful. I mean, listen, I know way too many people have had it. It's not near deadly to most of the population. My brother-in-law said it best when, when he said he wasn't going to get vaccinated. Actually, maybe not best, but I liked his answer. I liked his response. When asked if he was going to get vaccinated or not, his response was, I'm going to take my 99.7% chance that I'm not going to die from it. Um, so having said that, COVID, this, you know, everybody's getting it right now, but it's not killing most people, most healthy, whatever. This isn't about COVID. They're just saying that it is spreading like wildfire. It should be taken seriously. Um, and that's probably keeping a lot of people from going out to eat because they don't want to get COVID. So there's a whole wide variety of, of issues here that are keeping people from restaurants. 
just know this if you are the consumer that a lot of your favorite restaurants are on the verge of collapse because you aren't going out to eat as often as you once were. Having said that, what can you do about it? Well, if you're if you're worried about COVID, which I don't blame you, I am as well. Uh, I don't want to get COVID again. I had it. It sucked. But you can order delivery. And uh, even if you have to use a third-party service, which, listen, sucks. I, I hate third parties. But I know plenty of restaurants that... Um, you know, pay you know pay themselves because of the third party. So, order delivery. Uh, find a place that does curbside takeout. If they don't specifically say that they offer it, call them and ask them if they'll offer curbside takeout for you. Uh, but order takeout. You know, do it once or twice. One you know one or two extra times a month goes a long, 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 long way. Or maybe even a week. I don't know. Just order out more often if you don't want to go sit down. But again, just know that a lot of the local restaurants that you love are on the verge of going out of business right now. Uh, now, I want to talk to the restaurant owners, to the industry people, to the chefs, to the bar managers, to the restaurant managers. To, if you're in a restaurant, you're an industry person, I want to talk to you for a second. And I want to say that, yes, things suck right now. I mean, they absolutely, they blow. They're awful. Uh, I do not envy any restaurant person listening to this podcast. I would never wish it on my worst enemy to be a restaurant owner, especially now. Having said that, um, the Restaurant Relief Fund, uh, you got to stop just trying to bank your life on the Restaurant Relief Fund. I don't, I don't want to be in your position. I don't know what it's like. I mean, I, I sort of do. I've had a failed business, and you can listen to previous episodes and hear those stories that I've told a thousand times. I know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to own a restaurant, but I know what it's like to have a failing business and and life sucks. You cannot rely, sit back right now, and just complain to everybody that will listen about how bad business is and then just keep saying, the restaurant relief fund, the restaurant. Yes, I know it will do a lot of good to a lot of people. But you also have to look at your business and say, what could I be doing differently now to get more people in? How can I make ordering food or drinks or whatever from me more easily accessible to these people who aren't coming in. How, here's a number of ways that you could do that. Have a good marketing plan, social media plan. Hire someone to do your marketing. Take good photos of your product and run Facebook ads with them. You know, I had somebody who contacted me not too long ago and wanted me to do this like really cool video for them. And they said, can you do this? And if so, how much? And I said, I can. And I'm going to charge you Next to nothing for it. Next to nothing compared to what you should be getting charged for it. And that was like a couple hundred dollars. And I said, uh, but honestly, it's a waste of money unless you have a marketing plan to run a Facebook ad with this and like kind of put a lot of money into the Facebook ad. I never heard back from them. Um, Not their fault. They're extremely busy. Anyways, uh, you have to have some sort of a plan in place if you're not doing anything now. Okay, second thing. How are you making it easy for people to get your food or buy your product? You know, are you offering delivery? If you can, then maybe you should. If you can't, then okay, whatever. Um, do you have curbside takeout? Are you posting, hey, I have, we have curbside takeout. We can make this safe for you to get our food. If you're not, then you need to. Consider putting a sign out. Consider putting special parking spots up for it. 
Um, put it on your social media stuff. We offer curbside. Make a graphic. Make a big deal out of the fact that you offer contactless ordering and, and getting food. Um, but make it easy. If you don't have online ordering, get it set up. I can help you with it. Um, at least direct you into the right person who can really help you build it because I'm not you know, I'm not technical in those areas. But get online ordering set up. Make it easy for people to support your business. If people just if you can't if you've done all those things or you can't do those things, uh, look at your menu. You know, think of offering something special. I, listen, I work for the Brasserie doing their social media. Michelle and Nora are great owners, and um, you know they're slow right now, like everybody else is. But you know what they're doing is they they just came out with this really crazy, amazing cocktail dessert flight board. And they're going to be offering this thing starting Tuesday for the rest of the month and or for a couple of weeks. And it's just, it's I, I, you have to see it to believe it. It's just gorgeous. And it's going to bring people in their door. So think of that. Think of things that you can do, ways you can change up either. You don't have to completely change your menu. Offer a new monthly special or a weekly special. Offer a new weekly, something new every week. Um. Don't just use your own imagination. Google and see what restaurants like yours are doing in big cities. Go on Instagram and type in local restaurants in Los Angeles or New York or whatever it is or Google it. I had a client, you know, I was helping them with this the other day and they were kind of, you know, within 60 seconds I had four examples from them from a simple Google search uh, of things that they could do. So... Expand your horizons, like look out to see what big cities are doing and what similar businesses are doing in those big cities and say, could I do that here? And uh, if you can, then do it. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, there's more that can be done. And I wish more people were doing those things. That's it. Uh Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lauren from Momano. usually sip alcohol <laughs> and uh um so and I, I do everything fast like when i first when i first got out of high school and i was going to school and i lived i was living in like southern ohio um i hung out with my uncle a lot who used to be in the navy and this guy like you would go out to breakfast with him you'd be having a conversation talking as soon as that plate hit the table, he didn't say a word. He scarfed his food down, and then he was like, all right, you ready? And so uh, that's not to that extreme, but that's just kind of how. Yeah. So like we go out to him like, all right, let's you know eat and do our thing and get out of here. Um, and I remember one of the first times that we came to Amano, Alex came out and brought like a shot of limoncello. 
he was like, this is good for settling, you know, <laughs> this is good for slowing things down. <laughs> um, so I've always been aware of it. But uh, so I usually don't get cocktails because I like to Chug drink <laughs> and I don't want to get hammered while yeah. I'm sitting there. Um, but uh, uh, and also usually at some places a cocktail is 20 bucks. So I'm not going to sit there and have four cocktails and spend almost $100 on four drinks. But the beer prices there were pretty much like a dollar less than the cocktail. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get a cocktail. If there's a place to drink cocktails, I feel like that's that's the place. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have been really, and I guess that kind of uh, scratched the itch, but I've really been craving just like a good steak and bourbon lately. Like, like a, together or just yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> together like go to like a old school steakhouse mm. get a big steak have a couple bourbons and uh, that sort of scratched that itch but not really and I don't know where to go around here to get those two around things. here no but yeah. I think of this this place in Jersey because I'm from Philly so I think of this place in Jersey that has this window mm. and they have these giant cuts of steak. Mm. Like huge, huge <laughs> primal cuts of steak, and they cu- you you show them how big you want, yeah, and they cut it right there for you. Wow! And then they cook it for you, and they, I mean that's basically what they do. Just, you just get meat, huh. maybe potato, maybe some salad, but that's all you eat, and it's <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> there is a place in Texas I went to once when I lived there, and I forget the name of it. It was like down a dirt road, you know. It was looked like an old saloon. But it was a steakhouse, and it was on, like, kind of that thick, plasticky plates, you know, that was, like, their, you know, what they served the food on. And you ordered it a window inside, and they had this steak for two that was a 64-ounce steak and two baked (laughs) potatoes and two salads and, you know, two something else for, like, $60. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like around the time that I had only been living in Texas for like three months. And uh, the girl that I was dating at the time, we went, it was like a, her friend's anniversary or something like that. And they were all redneck cowboys. <laughs> and that was like the fancy and, place. <laughs> and they could eat all of that. And they, you know, like every couple got that, yeah. you know, to split. And uh Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what that reminds me of when you say you cut it however thick you want. Yeah. I don't know if I could eat that much meat anymore. Yeah. I feel like I used to be so good at that. I mean, I just grew up in a family. My dad was just huge cuts of meat, maybe some sides, but he didn't care about them. Hmm. Huge cuts of meat and chilies. Any kind of chili. And really? that was that was the that was our meal. Yeah. So you grew up in Philly? I grew up in Philly. Were your parents cooks or in their industry or Um I'm going to, so my dad was not in the industry. Mm. He, um, he owned a, uh, mortgage company, Okay. but he is, and I hate this word, but he's definitely a foodie. Yeah. Um, and he was a foodie when foodie wasn't a word yet. Okay. Um, and he taught us that. I mean, Mm. my first adult food was sushi. Really? When I was maybe not even one. (laughs) They would tell me stories about them bringing my sister and I to sushi places, and they'd put us in high chairs. Mm. And 
adults it wasn't even popular for like adults to eat it hmm. yet in yeah. like the 80s it yeah. wasn't big yet and they're like everyone would just give us looks you have this <laughs> child eating like <laughs> eating sushi <laughs> like this is this is weird for us to try this like because it was so um, bougie or? it was yeah, I mean, yeah. It, was, it, it was new i mean <laughs> people weren't used to it yet um and then my mom's also that way, but she owned a cheese shop at some point before I was born, and okay. then she sold it when my she was having my sister, mm-hmm. who's older. Um, so she owned a cheese shop, and they did catering um, in Jersey before they moved to Philly okay. when they had us. Um, and I grew up in Center City, and then we moved out to the suburbs, like 10-minute drive. Yeah. 10-minute drive without traffic. Okay. Maybe 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, in the downtown. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah. Hmm. But then my dad moved back into a center city at some point. Okay. Um, so in and out of Philly. Yeah. Um, definitely a Philly girl, though. Yeah. Uh, I've only been to Philly once, and I was there for... Uh, I was there for like a job and for an afternoon conference, like flew in at two conferences at five, flew out the next morning. So you really need to experience it. Yeah. Well, um, are you, I don't know if, are you coming with us? Oh, I'm coming. All right. (laughs) Oh, I'm coming. That's my town. I mean, it is Alex's now because he's like, he's definitely been adopted by Philly. Yeah. And he's adopted it as his home, I think as well. Yeah. Um, But... No, that that's That'll my that's my place. <laughs> um, I don't know. We may have to like stay the night and fly back the next day. Maybe I don't maybe. know. Um, I mean, driving be... is also. I mean, it's only yeah. four hours. Yeah, we're do- that's true. We're do- so we're doing that with um, in on February second. I'm going to New Haven with Nick from Toss and Fire Pizza because he's originally from there. Oh, okay, and. Um, or Milford, Connecticut, something like that, something where something near there. So we're going to like Pepe's and um, Sammy's, a couple other places around there. But we're driving, so and uh, uh, it's 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 I don't know. It's strange. Like when I went to Chicago with Tim, I was worried that I mean I know Tim, like I hang out with him, like we do some video projects with him. But I don't hang out with them outside of, like, Eat Local or Buried Acorn mm-hmm. stuff, but hang out with them there. And I was worried about being with him for 21 hours. Not because it's him, but just, all right, I don't, really don't know this person, but I'm going to be with you for a long-ass time. Yeah, uh, but food is a great buffer. <laughs> it is, for sure. So anyway, so with Nick and I, yeah, we're driving to uh, to Connecticut. So maybe. I don't know. I was looking at... I was looking at flights, and I've got a ton of air, like, airline miles right now, mm-hmm. and tickets aren't really that expensive. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, flying out of Philly is never really that expensive, um, although I found it's much more expensive flying out of Syracuse to go anywhere. Oh, than Philly? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for some of these smaller airports, it's always crazy expensive. Yeah. Um, and oddly, it's so. I mean, maybe it's because it's Delta. There's there wasn't a direct flight to Philly, really, which I thought was kind of dumb. Um, I also looked recently because I'm, I'm trying to get out to Buffalo a lot more often, and it's just a pain to be in the car for like two and a half hours each way or two hours each way um, when I'm driving. Because at least for the time being, 
if I have a client that's like, hey, I need you to respond to this comment or make this post, it's like, oh, I'm driving. I'll do it in a bit. So I was looking at, to see if there's a direct flight to Buffalo from Syracuse, and there's not. It's probably, how close is it? It's all, it's, I mean, that flight would be like... 15 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like 30 minutes maybe. Uh, but there isn't. I could fly from Syracuse to Detroit and then to oh, Buffalo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, tra- and the thing that sucks about the train schedule too is that doesn't leave Syracuse until noon or 1 p.m. every day to go to Buffalo. So then you kind of have to stay the night. So... Uh, or I could just suck it up and drive. <laughs> Rent a Tesla so you can just like... Yeah, that's true. That's, that's not a bad idea. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that trip. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have to go to back to Philly the following month with Kyle from okay. Danny. Yeah, it's going to do the cheese, cheese steak yeah. thing? Yeah, I think so. So that should, be, that should be fun. That should be filling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, take that's, it easy. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be. Yeah, that'll be kind of like the pizza one, like you know, with Tim. Yeah, you, know, you have a couple bites and then you're done. So, yeah, it should be interesting. You should do the um, South Philly taco when you're down there. What's that? For sure. So that is um, so on South Street. Uh-huh. There's a place called um, so there's Jim's Jim okay. Steaks. Yeah, and then. Um, I just blanked on the pizza place because I do this all the time, even though I went there all the time and I lived a block from it. Um, so there's, there's this pizza place, and I'll remember the name in a second. Um, and they have slices that are this big. Okay, yeah. And you put the cheesesteak in it and then wrap it up like a taco. <laughs> I don't eat it that way, but yeah. it's a thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> Kyle wants to do some sandwich out of the shop where it's it's like a cheesesteak with French fries and mozzarella sticks and chicken fingers inside of it. Okay. And I forget, he said that was some sort of a Philly thing, I, I guess. I don't know. Well, putting French fries in sandwiches is just very street food thing. Yeah. Because like you can't hold Carry both, both of them. Yeah. So you just put it inside. They do a lot with gyros and stuff. Oh, um, Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. So you're living in Philly, living just outside of it. And when did you start to get into food? Um, so I went to, after high school, I went to college in New York city. Okay. Um, studied environmental science. Um, hated it. Yeah. Not what I was studying. I just, maybe moving to New York city was not the right move at the right time. Did you go right out of high school? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, I had gone to boarding school, so I was already like away from home. Okay. Um, but yeah, I went right to New York City, um, in Greenwich Village, mm-hmm. then lived on the East Village. Um, went there for two years and left. I had no clue what I wanted to do at all. <laughs> went back home, and then I don't really actually remember what's sparked the whole I want to try working in a restaurant thing probably just like the lifelong passion for food and Mm -hmm. just wanting to eat everything so why not try and cook it type of thing (laughs) um so I actually asked there's a local old school restaurant out in the suburbs that back in like its heyday it was the restaurant the only restaurant then like Philadelphians would like travel outside of hmm. philly to go to eat to wow and i mean by the time i worked there that had died down a little bit but yeah. it was still known hmm. um and 
I sort of knew the chef because I'd been going there to eat escargot for the longest time. (laughs) So I asked him. I just walked into his restaurant one day and I was like, can I come and just watch? Mm -hmm. I didn't even ask for a job. I said, can I come and watch? He was like, no. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I went back and asked him, can I come and watch? And then he sat me down and gave me the longest spiel about how the restaurant industry is horrible. (laughs) And um, I should not at all want anything to do with it. And just gave me all these scenarios like, all right, you're going to be working until past midnight. Everyone's going to be hanging out. You're going to be meeting people at their party. They're all going to be drunk already. Um, You're going to be just getting there, off from work, dirty, stinky. Do you really want anything to do with this? Yes, I do. So he's like, fine. You can come and work for, just watch. Mm-hmm. Watch for three days. It's like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. Whatever you offer. After, I think after the first day, he offered me a job. Wow. Ended up working there for two and a half years. Hmm. Um, and he said to me, he said, you should go to the Culinary Institute of America. I was like, okay. He was like, well, if you don't apply, I'm going to apply for you. What were you doing there? At I the was, restaurant? I was a line cook. Yeah. Um, I worked my way from, I did, I mean, it was a really small kitchen. Okay. Um, so I learned everything. Was that, like, what kind of food were they doing? It was, he's going to hate me if he hears this, <laughs> but it was very French. He was German, well, Austrian. Okay. And he always hated the French. <laughs> But his food was very French. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was very French-inspired. German dishes, schnitzel, okay. red cabbage, that as well. Hmm. Um, some American stuff, but very French-inspired. Yeah. Um, I learned from the saucier how to make all like the French sauces. Hmm. Um, learned everything there. Um, learned how to be a great owner, because he was... By then, he was 70-something, and he would scrub the floor if he needed to. Wow. Um, he, was, he did everything. Was it a big restaurant? It was pretty big. Yeah. Um, it was in an old inn. Oh, cool. Um, and it was really, really dark inside. It's closed now. Oh, okay. Um, he closed about maybe about five years ago. Hmm. Um, and Well, do you remember his uh, spiel? Besides the things you already said, do you remember, like, everything that he said to you that night? I remember a lot, yeah. <laughs> was, it, was it all true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't regret it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've said it a few times on the podcast, but during, like, the height of the pandemic, we had, um, I was making, like, pizza, trying to really make great pizza at home and bought a, a baking steel and... I was so obsessed with it. I actually had the inventor of the baking steel oh, on the really? podcast. Yeah. Oh, and, I, I uh, follow him. I love him. <laughs> he did a he did a phone interview with me, and we talked for like an hour. Uh, his name's Andrus Langsden, but um, I forget where they just moved to because his his their headquarters was out of Boston or just outside of Boston. I think he just moved to Texas or something oh, like really? that. Well, everyone's moving to Texas. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I would, and I, then I was trying to do sourdough and I was like making my own butter and all this stupid COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And I would post the pictures on Instagram all the time and uh, Facebook. This old family friend, my dad had restaurants and he was, he's been in the industry forever. So this old family friend would always comment on them and say, you've got to open a restaurant. Uh, you know, you'd be so good at it. It's in your blood, da, 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 da. And it would piss me off. And I never wrote back, but I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. It, I have yet to hear from one person who says it's the best decision I ever made. I mean, people love it. Yeah. Obviously. Right. There's a passion for it, but it's like an abusive relationship. It is. And you always like, you always just like an abusive relationship. You always want out (laughs) like a little bit of you always wants out, (laughs) but yet it draws you back. You keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And I got out for a little while. I worked at a, on a farm for a couple of years. Um, actually right before we moved up here. Okay. I worked on a farm. Um, just needed a break from it. Just going through that whole need to get out of this bad relationship kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was great. I mean, I learned a lot that's also helped me in the restaurant business yeah. as I've definitely come back into the restaurant business. Yeah. Um, that was a good couple of years. Well. It was your first time coming back into it with a mo- with yeah you and Alex coming here yeah, and that was I mean everything was a big change there. I mean I moved all the way up here yeah. I didn't know I didn't know for sure I was going to work full time at the restaurant. Oh it really? It was kind of up in the air when I moved up here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I had all the experience. I'd worked at Italian restaurants, making pastas, making breads, making all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, I mean, worked at the best Italian restaurant in Philly. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I'll come and help you. I just, I wasn't exactly sure. It's scary coming back to it. (laughs) It was scary. I mean, I felt like I took a break for a reason and, but it, it hooked me. Yeah. (laughs) Now, when did you when did you two go to Italy? So we went to Italy. Um, oh God, I don't remember what year. Um, it was it's actually before I worked at the farm. So we opened up the restaurant here in nineteen. So we we must have gone in sixteen, okay, two thousand sixteen or so. Yeah. We went for five months. Five months, okay. And lived in a tent for most of those five months. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so what was that like? Like you, the, you just made the decision to go one day or was there a, like a opportunity that came up? Um, just things kind of fell into place. Um, I had worked, um, just go back a little bit. So in Philly, I'd worked for Mark Vetri. Okay. Yeah. I'd worked through his restaurants, mm. um, and then the last restaurant I worked at was, I was asked to work at Vetri. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that was a great opportunity for me. Mm. Um, plus, I was I was asked to work there. Yeah. Um, you're picked out of the whole company to work there. It was mm. a great opportunity. <laughs> it just wasn't at that point for me, Yeah. that specific restaurant. Um, I think one of the chefs... And the whole environment that was built there at that time wasn't what I wanted to be around. Yeah. Um, so I felt like that was the time to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then Alex had been, he'd gone to work. He actually got out of working in a kitchen for a little while too. He didn't leave the restaurant, but he, <laughs> he became a manager. Oh, really? Front of the house manager. Really? Yes. I can't and see Alex as a front of house I know. manager. <laughs> um, he, he was a front of, ma- front of a house manager and he was serving hmm. um, like different shifts. Yeah. So he was bringing in money. Yeah. So he saved up a lot of money. So between me wanting to leave my job and the money we had saved up, it just fell into place to go to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like a lot of money, but when you're going somewhere for five months, <laughs> <laughs> you have to live in a tent. <laughs> um, we had rented a car so we could get around. Okay. Um, so that was that was a lot of money right there. Yeah, um, sure. But we were able to go to little towns that we really wouldn't have been able to hmm. go to otherwise. Yeah. Like really small towns. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't just Italy. I mean, we went to, we spent definitely the most time in Italy. Yeah. Went to Germany, went to Prague, Spain. Wow. Um, Austria. Austria is the cleanest city I've ever been. Ever been? <laughs> I've, uh, um, my I have a cousin who was a uh, embassy guard in the Marines in uh, Vienna for a year and a half, and yeah, he loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, um, I love Prague too. Yeah, I feel like that's some place I could really live. Do you ever want to go back? Yeah, sometimes they say maybe we should just pack up all our animals and our plants and just. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it just seems like, it just seems like a lot. Yeah. Especially family here. It's just, it's a hard, it's a hard move. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I was, I was just hanging out with my brother down in, uh, they live in Rockland County. So just outside, like maybe 30 minutes outside of New York city. And you know, he's married with four kids and, um, uh, he was in San Diego over the summer and I used to live in San Diego for about a month outside of like Hawaii. San Diego is like one of my favorite places I've ever been, at least like in the States. Mm -hmm. And I would love to live there, but it's a lot different when you're 35 and, oh, I'd love to live there one day because you know, that that one day is slipping away pretty yeah. quickly versus when you're 25, 26 or younger uh, where it's like, oh, I'm going to go there for a year. Um, that doesn't really happen anymore yeah. as you get older. <laughs> a lot more things to pack in your U-Haul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah. So what's it like... Um, there's a lot more, I'm sure, in between uh, that and today that I want to talk to you about. But what's it like when you're in a restaurant, um, you know, like this, like a mono? Like, oh, what's the goal? What's the, is there a goal? Is there like a, is there a finish line? Is it one day That's I, <laughs> one day I want to, I know. <laughs> Oh no. That's a big question. Um, uh. I'm like if I'm a start I'm a starting line and finish line, you know, person. Uh I can see exactly how to get something started. I can see where it could go mm-hmm. and all the stuff in between um I struggle with. Uh 
And so, but I realized that's kind of maybe a dumb question. No, no, it's good. It's making me think because I think I'm the complete opposite. Yeah. I think I love the in-between. Really? Yeah. And I love like, I love, I just love new things too. Yeah. Um, Kind of always been that way. Mm. Like ever since I was a kid, just anything new. I mean, I always knew like I would grow from doing anything new or learn something from something new and and make me better, make me, I don't know. So always that, that in between for me is yeah, the most important, maybe the most fun. And mm-hmm. I'll see where the ending, whenever I see it, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Not that like, I don't have plans, uh-huh. but I mean, I guess my plan's always been a restaurant, but like mine, mm-hmm. You know, Mono, Mono's great. And of course, it's like a baby of all of ours. Because yeah. this is a family. Right. It's a family-run business. Um, but it's like a family baby. Mm-hmm. It's not my baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's like a mixture of everybody. Right. It's like this weird mesh. Yeah. Um, which is great, because we've all learned, like, so much about each other and, like, mm. about you know, learning to compromise and, you know, learning, you know, I have just moving up here and like opening up a business with your boyfriend's family. It's just crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> how long have you guys been, you've been together for a, a bit. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, how long have I been up here? Um, we've been open for three, little over three years. Yeah. We've been together for seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while. Yeah. Wasn't like a couple months later. No. <laughs> Plus the whole like being in. I mean, my mom always says she's like the fact that you guys were in Italy living in a tent for five months together. <laughs> it's like adding like four years to your relationship. Yeah, like, without a doubt. A lot of people would come back either like their relationship maybe destroyed or yeah. something, but we came back stronger. So mm-hmm. I. So maybe our relationship's eleven years old. I don't know. Yeah. What is it? Bill Murray said before you, before you marry someone, you should travel around the world together or, or something like yeah. that. Um, I mean, any trip really, I think, will suffice. Oh yeah, it doesn't have to be a five month trip in a right in a, tent. <laughs> in a tent. Yeah, my my now wife uh, and I went to New York City for I think two days, two days one night after about two months of dating and pretty much quickly realized exactly how we were both going to yeah. be for the rest of our, you know, relationship and lives, uh, how that was going to work out. So, uh, it yeah, worked out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Yeah. So really just a trip, but yeah, definitely Italy for five yeah. months living in a tent. It's a different story. Yeah. So maybe your dream isn't, and I don't think, I don't know if it's theirs, if it's the families as well, but probably not to one day have like 20 Amanos. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, also, like, things have... A lot has changed since we've been up here. Yeah. Anthony got sick from COVID, yeah. and um, I'm not sure what Noah's plan is either. Um, not sure if he's 100% in this business or not, or if he wants to open pizzeria. Yeah. Plate. I don't know. So what was it like coming from... Uh, I'm sure it was a shock for both of you, but you know, you who's never lived in Syracuse, what was it like coming here and the difference in the industries, like the restaurant industry from 
Philly to Syracuse? I mean, it was for sure a big change. <laughs> I mean, for many reasons. Um, I mean, in Philly, I was definitely spoiled in where I was working. Mm-hmm. The My coworkers, um, everyone I was working with was in the business for a career okay. and not a job where a lot of people in this business are, it's a job. Yeah. Um, but in Philly it's cause it's such a food city. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always a zillion people in line to get your job. Hmm. Um, it's very competitive. Really? So if you're not at the top, yeah. Of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you slip up even a little bit. There's a zillion people right behind you hmm. ready to step in your place. So it creates a very different atmosphere. Um, hmm. I know it's different for you. I mean, it's not like I would I would arguably say you're probably not replaceable at Amano. Hopefully. Right. <laughs> not replaceable. <laughs> and. Um, but even still. What do you prefer? Do you prefer kind of like that as somebody who's in the industry working in the kitchen? Do you prefer the, I better step things up because somebody might be taking my job next week? Or do you prefer Um, more of like kind of the relaxed? I prefer the very competitive. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I'm not a competitive person. I kind of wish Noah was here right now because... (laughs) He might actually speak the truth. I'm a little crazy. Yeah. Um, not like I'm a great boss and I'm like a super nice person. I don't like yell unless right. it's really needed kind of type of thing. I'm not like a lot of Philly chefs, but hmm. I'm crazy with myself. Like I push myself so hard hmm. and I've always been that way. Yeah. I'm my own worst enemy. I torture myself because nothing's ever good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not a good way to be. <laughs> that- but it worked for Philly. It worked being being a line cook in Philly. It worked for me. Are you that way just in the kitchen or is it like other areas? Probably too much in other areas too. But <laughs> <laughs> definitely in the kitchen. And it works. I mean, it, again, it it made me really good at what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And hmm. it made this industry work for me. Um, and probably why I keep coming back to it. Yeah. (laughs) Is that because there, I mean, there probably isn't like a perfect service. No, nothing's ever perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. There's too many variables. Drives me insane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, no, nothing's ever perfect. Things go wrong all the time. Um, in the kitchen, you can hide it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's really strange. I, I guess I never really thought of it like until you just said, you know, when you were saying Philly and there's a you know a number of people in line waiting to take your job. I can't think of any restaurant in the area that I've ever talked to that even prior to the pandemic wasn't in desperate need of good help. Yeah. Um, that, that was a big struggle for us. Yeah. Opening. I mean, continue to be, but opening. Yeah. Um, 
we've cut down on staff drastically and hmm. um i know everyone has because of covid right. but we kind of also did it a little purposely because hmm. for us like for alex and i we're so used to i think pushing ourselves to the limit that in some ways it's easier to do that than sometimes deal with um maybe other people who can't <laughs> how do i put this <laughs> no i am uh there's not a lot of restaurants there's maybe which restaurants in town can really demand there's you there's eden there's saint, saint urban, urban. <laughs> And to a certain degree, I'd say maybe an Alto Cinco or Otro. Mm -hmm. um, Kasai. Uh, other than that, I can't, no other restaurant comes to my mind that really demands a really high, highly skilled or educated or talented or original yeah. chef. And Everything you, else. Can I mean, just, there can't be more restaurants than that because there's just. Yeah. It's not available. You mean in our area or yeah. just right now because of the pit, oh, like for staffing? Both. We're both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there can't be more because the, the consumers don't really demand it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's making me really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, sorry. <laughs> this conversation is making me very sad, especially because I just heard from two separate people today. One of them, a cook or a chef, um, which he wasn't saying he was going to purchase it. Thank God. I take that back. I need to add, because this is the person I was talking to, Devin at Brick and Barrel. I don't know if you've, you, know, you probably haven't been out there. Um, Devin out at Brick and Barrel is really talented. Uh, I'd say top five, like, chef talented restaurants he just does um not everything's a is a home run in terms of what he's putting on the menu but he's doing really interesting food he's constantly changing it up he's constantly talking about um how excited he is about a dish um i was just out there today to do pictures for them and uh it, like everything's just yeah he's really really talented um, but so he was telling me about this and then, uh, a food purveyor was telling me about this, about this new kind of beef that's available <laughs> that, I don't know what. that is ungraded and, um, oh. and injected with oh. water, salt, and fat of some sort to uh, <laughs> make it more appealing and appetizing. And um, Devin was telling me his, his supplier was telling them that they're selling it like wildfire to golf courses who are doing like steak bakes. And then the other food purveyor is telling me that it's this new innovative product that's coming out on the market and you can buy it for such little money and it tastes good. And I'm like, Oh dear God! What is happening to our food? food? That's a whole nother question. That is, yeah, also will make you sad, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, because that's yeah. Ugh. Um, I thought we were trying to. I mean, as humans, I thought we were getting back into like wanting to know where food's coming from and what it is. I feel like that's a step in the wrong direction. 
I said like in when we were when everything was locked down that COVID was either going to pull everybody back for closer to Mayberry or it was going to drive us so much further into the future and I think feel like that's what we're doing. I mean uh let's get out of the food industry for a minute. <laughs> um I mean I'm part of the problem because I just bought an Oculus VR headset and I'm now obsessed with it and I'm now um doing so many different things <laughs> like what For, well i'm now working out at home every night with oh, okay it. well then I'm that's like, good that's good yeah uh that's good um uh i'll have to show you some of the videos that my wife has taken mm. of me um, no but. they're great we had um we had a vr set and no we actually have the oculus i think yeah that's what i got i honestly the when we bought it i was like alex like why are we <laughs> The last time we bought a VR, we like used it for like two weeks, and then it just never left the closet. Yeah, and the same thing happened with this one. That's hilarious. Yeah, but I, they're fun. Uh, yeah, I just always forget to throw. I don't know. I right. just forget about it. Um, I went in there into Horizon Worlds and created an Eat Local New York World, and I'm going to try to. The hope is to find. I know one person that has a VR headset that's like into it that. I want to have them on as a guest and my hope is to go in there and start to record like a show or some version of the podcast in that space, mm -hmm. whether we're in there playing like putt putt golf together and recording it or just in there hanging out and like the eat local New York world, which really all you can do right now is play cornhole yeah. in there. Um, fun, <laughs> uh, but just figure out a way to do it. I mean, there's a there's like a prof professional comedians who in the VR chat worlds like space, there are virtual comedy clubs where you can go in there and in front of hundreds of people get up and do an open mic set for comedy. I mean, it's wild the things that you can do in there. Um, so having said all of that, I know that I'm part of the problem because I'm furthering. <laughs> We're all part of the, the problem. To be honest, technology. Uh, and eventually we're just going to be growing everything, I'm sure, in some warehouse of what we eat. Uh, but, yeah, it was just really depressing to hear these people tell me about this. Un, like, you don't even have to grade the beef anymore. You can just inject yeah, it that's... with salt and water and fat. And... But the growing things in warehouses doesn't have to be bad. I mean, what is, so there's this local, do you know about Good Healthy? The local green, they grow greens. Is like it just, do they just do microgreens? Microgreens and like like baby kale. Okay, and yeah. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know about them, but I've they seen. They grow like indoors, I believe. Yeah. We, we get them at Amano. Um, and their stuff is phenomenal. Yeah. Microgreens, um, I've seen a lot of stuff about the warehouses. Yeah. Of, yeah, for sure. And they grow like, I mean, it's not micro microgreens, but they do like baby greens. Okay. Um, they do like arugula. Oh, cool. The arugula is so good. Yeah. I love greens, obviously. Yeah. Kale. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fine. That's fine to a certain extent. It's, well, you know, if down the road we start to get our chicken and our beef from, yeah. you know, and when it's not just the Beyond stuff, but it's actual beef, that's... There's a lot of people <laughs> where I feel like are going the opposite way as well. Yeah. Trying to get more understanding of where our food comes from. Yeah. Um, 
which, I mean, it's been, that's a little bit of a different thing here as well, like compared to Philly. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, I don't know if it's just maybe some of our customer base, but like when we do whole fish, yeah, a lot of them want the heads removed. Oh, really? Before bringing it out to the table, hmm. which is fine. Yeah, no problem doing it. Um, I just, I know it's just the things that I maybe believe in, and but and I was a vegetarian for a while, but um, I just think that if you want, if you don't want to see the head, like then maybe don't eat it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like maybe understand where your food's coming from. Mm-hmm. Like if you can't, if that bothers you, then shouldn't the eating of the fish also bother you? Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had ch- backyard chickens for about a year and, and then oh, I, you gave us some eggs, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, uh, I loved having them. I just felt bad because we had, you know, we live in the city and we had them. I had a chicken run for them that they could hang out in outside that was completely safe. So birds and stuff and skunks weren't going to come in and get them at night uh, or during the day. But, and we have this big yard for where we live for the north side. It's a big yard. So if I was home during the day, I'd let them out and they, they loved it. But every time I would leave for work in the morning or come home at night, they would run to the gate wanting me to let them out. And so I just felt, I felt too bad after a while. So we wound up giving them to a friend who has a farm up in central square. Um, but I, there is no way in hell that I, I don't think there's any way that I could have done this. Maybe if I had to, I don't think I could have killed one of those chickens to eat it. I'm pretty sure I couldn't have done that. I know. And so maybe I shouldn't have been eat. Maybe, you know, with that. I know. Me, after me saying that, I'm like, I don't know. But it's something I've always wanted. To, I've always wanted to try it. What? Butchering a chicken? Yeah. Yeah. Or some, Lucky seven, I I'm do sure, feel like I do feel like if I, if I eat it, I should be able to kill it. Yeah. And I might cry, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there like we had um we over the summer we had squirrels that were getting in our eaves in our house and um so i put out traps and caught them and my wife called me one day and uh, when i was at work and she said hey you caught one of the squirrels and now it's freaking out on the back porch it's in this cage and now our dog buddy is freaking out so you have to come home and do something about it. So I'm like, oh, well, if I just let it go, it's just going to go right back into the eve. So what the hell am I going to do with this thing? Um, I was thinking, all right, maybe I'll take it to like, I'll drive it to a park and let it go there. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, but what if once I open this cage up, it attacks me? <laughs> <laughs> so as I'm going through like all of the things that I could do, uh, I called my dad. I was like, hey, what do I do with this? And his response was, just bring it over to my house. I'll take care of it. And they live like 10 minutes away. So I go over there. I go in the backyard. I've got the squirrel that I just transported in this cage mm-hmm. over to my parents' house. I hand it to my dad. He walks it into the back and dumps it into a bucket of water and drowns the thing. And that's like, 
my grandfather was the same way. Like, that's what you do with these things. And I'm sitting there like, what in the hell are you doing to the squirrel? <laughs> I know. We're just, we're not used, like, how, yeah. we're just not used to it. I know. It's strange. One of my friends from boarding school, she, um, she was from Nigeria and she would always tell, she told me, she was like her grandmother when she was a kid. Yeah. Made her kill a chicken. Like she was really young. <laughs> And I mean, since then she's been freaked out. Yeah. She she wasn't oh, yeah. convinced by it, but she was like that. She made me do it. Like yeah. that's, I had to do it at a very young age. Yeah. Um, when I worked at the farm, I had my best friend. She was uh, from Mexico. She lives back in Mexico now, but she would take. Speaking of chickens, so people would buy baby chicks from us. Okay. And they weren't always sexed. Yeah. Properly. Right. So if people end up at the rooster, they would bring it back in oh, exchange really? for chicken. Hmm. And we had no use for a rooster. We couldn't have a rooster. Yeah. So um, she would take it home mm. and cook it, cook it usually for us for lunch the yeah. next day. But um, <laughs> I was always like, I want to come home and like yeah. do it, but I never did. Hopefully, um, once that but I'd rooster, always eat it the next day. Hopefully, so once it, it matured delicious. a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully that one was like. Oh a yeah, baby. it was like an adult. Yeah, because <laughs> we had one. We we uh, got our. I got our chicks. We got ten of them, and one of them wound up being a rooster. And I just found somebody in Phoenix that had a farm, and they were they took it off our hands. You know, uh, luckily before it started crowing, because that would have really sucked. But um, you could tell from its tail feathers and it, you know the color that it was going to be a that it was a rooster. So. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't grow up like hunting or anything like that. Uh, my dad wasn't really a big, he'd just gone hunting before, but he wasn't like really a big deer hunter or anything. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I eat a lot of venison because Alex's brother Noah hunts. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I profit from that. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) I listen to Joe Rogan podcast all the time. And he's always talking about like going to Colorado or wherever and going on these elk hunts. And then he has food to feed his family for the rest of the year. And I hear those things and I watch like the meat eater show on Netflix and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to start, I want to only eat things that I can grow or I can make with my hands. And then, uh, you know, life doesn't allow for any of that. And then that's, the real world. That, that, I mean, that the extreme of it is insanely tricky. There's a woman who, in, I think it was like Canada who did a documentary about only for a year. Mm-hmm. She fed her entire family hmm. with only stuff that they killed they grew or like their neighbors grew. Yeah. She couldn't eat salt. Hmm. No sugar. <laughs> I mean, and they were up in Canada. Yeah. So the, she said the three months out of the year really was all they had <laughs> to preserve everything. And half the documentary was just their kids being like, this is like, I don't want to eat any of this. It's disgusting. Because <laughs> nothing is so, I mean, yeah. salt. Right. You lack salt. I mean, yeah. at least in Syracuse, if you did that, yeah. you could have salt. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I There was somebody who had that same philosophy, but it was, they only put, did it pertaining to like things they shouldn't have. So like sweets, you know, bread, all that kind of stuff. If they didn't make it themselves and they want to eat it, 
So they would only have bread if they made it. They would only have ice cream if they made it. And, you know, this person lost a bunch of weight and was healthier as a result because they didn't eat it all the time. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think that, you know, it's definitely environmentally based. Uh, You know, my sister-in-law and her husband, they live up in Boonville. And, um, you know, Boonville's, you know, an hour and a half northeast and uh, at the base of the Adirondacks and everybody up there hunts. And, you know, it's a small, small town. But um, they have this gorgeous home and like this lots of lots of land. And especially they they'll grow either they've done like beans or this past year they did pumpkins. They'll grow different crops, right? Pretty like, you know, I don't know, 50 to 100 yards off their back deck. And part of it is for them. Part of it's for deer. And then when it's deer season, they just wait for the deer to walk over. And so she she got a pretty big buck two years ago and just right out of her back, you know, saw it walk yeah. in and grabbed her gun, <laughs> went out there. And, you know, we went up like a month later, a couple months later, and my brother-in-law had venison jerky that he sent us home with, like mm-hmm. five pounds of it. It was amazing. Um so I guess maybe I need to just go hang out with my sister-in-law more often and you know, when it's deer season <laughs> and kind of get used to it, uh, you know, get into the swing of it. But I think it's environment. If I, I always say to my wife that I want to live in the country, one, you know, we, we desperately want to get out of the city. And so I'm like, let's move to Boonville. That'll be great. And uh, she's always saying there's no way in hell with how busy I stay now that I could do something like live in Boonville. But. I feel like I would just become that person. I just become the lumberjack who <laughs> shoots deer off my back porch. Is that what you want to become? Uh, I don't know if that's uh, what I necessarily want to become. I want to become a lot of things. That's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. I want to live in that. Hawaii and travel Europe and, you know, be a lumberjack. And I want to do all of these things <laughs> that the realization that I'm, it's probably not going to happen. I'm not going to live all those different lives. As it said in you. Yeah. Time to do it. Yeah, maybe one of those things. Yeah. Um, where do you think food is? If you had like, where do you think restaurants and food and consumers and like behave like eating habits and all that kind of stuff is going? Like, have you noticed a big shift in Syracuse in the three years that you've been here and at Amano? Um. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed a shift. I mean, definitely downtown, for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot has opened. Um. I just don't think the customers are there yeah for it to really continue much more mm-hmm. um they just still kind of want what they want um like there's definitely places for Amano, for eden for saint urban but i don't think there's a lot of room for much more of that yeah um and i don't see yeah, it's a young city, but I'm not sure that's even what they're looking for. Yeah. Like in Philly, so you go out in Philly. Sorry, I keep using Philly as an example. That's, <laughs> that's my city. But um, you go out in Philly, and you go to these restaurants, and they're packed full of young, I mean, early 30s, late 20s. Mm-hmm. And they all... 
that's what they do with their disposable income. They eat. Yeah. Um, they go try new places or out eating. They're out drinking. They're out. That's what they want. Right. They value that higher than the consumers here do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what drives the food scene in Philly. I just don't think that's what's going to drive the f- It's not going to drive the food scene in Syracuse that far. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if it ever will. Or I wonder if it's supposed to even. So take like Alex's example. Mm-hmm. He is a chef. He was interested in food. So he moved somewhere where that was available. Yeah. Um, he moved somewhere we could go out and two steps out of your house. There's this unique, different Asian noodle place. There's right. this right next to our last apartment. There was like a phenomenal, we're not vegan, but a phenomenal vegan pizza and donut place. There mm. was a fried chicken donut place. This half a block this way. Yeah. Um, you can work for great chefs. You know, we moved there for that. Right. Um, and I think that's might be what slows down Syracuse a little bit too, is those people might be moving somewhere where they can find that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So how do you keep those people here? I know. So that's the real question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, not even bring the people here. How do you keep those people right here? Like OCC, that's a great, they have a good culinary program, right? Yeah. So how do you keep those, the people who graduate from there, how do you keep them here to work? Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm glad I finally had you on. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. Um, maybe we'll have to have you and Alex on together at some time. That'd be fun. Yeah. In March, we're all going to Philly. That's going to be a blast. <laughs> that will be fun. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna have fun. Yeah. Right, so you have. So I need you to pick, like, choose like three. Maybe which maybe if we like stay overnight, maybe more. Definitely more. But at the very least, like three to four spots for us to go to while we're there. Okay. okay. So yeah. Yeah. yeah that should be fun. It depends. So when are we planning on going? So early March, I think. Early March. Okay. Because um. I wonder if that, that might align with, so um, Alex is, and our like best friend is opening. He's the head chef for Mark Vetri for his new restaurant. Oh, cool. So, and they're, um, they should be opening around then. So we might be able to make oh, it feel really? like they're opening. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah. Hmm. Um, we definitely have already been thinking about some places. Oh, cool. <laughs> All right. And sweet. they're doing the whole, like, you got to do the really late night thing too. yeah like the late night chinatown and late night like three <laughs> yeah so morning, we definitely like, have to stay like, overnight yeah maybe drinking a little too much three o'clock in the morning <laughs> chinese food <laughs> oh, i think alex fun. did that to anthony once um he still talks about it they destroyed him <laughs> <laughs> oh shit well cool well, thank you again i appreciate it thank you well, there it is, everybody. Listen, I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. I was, uh, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous. Uh, Lauren and Alex and Anthony and Noah, the whole Fiaki family, everybody in Mono, uh, I'm just so impressed with everything they do. And um, they're, a, they're a, a very necessary treasure here in Syracuse. And uh, please get out there and, and keep supporting them. 
and uh, let them know that you love them so that way they never ever leave Syracuse. <laughs> um, you can find us online, eatlocalnewyork.com. Stay up to date with everything we're doing. Find us on social media. Find the video version of this podcast on YouTube. And that's it. We're going to catch you next week right here at the Eat Local New York podcast. Mm-hmm.